This is Delicious Matt Bear, and you are listening to Footstuff. Oh, wait, he's got to put his fucking earbuds in. <laughs> he was born in 2003. Oh, yeah, earbuds and the hood up. That's what he has to do. <laughs> you, because you're so pixelated on my screen, you look like the lead singer of Hoobastank right now. <laughs> well, hey, gang, and welcome to Foot Stuff Podcast. This is a Blue Blaze episode of Foot Stuff, the 10th Blue Blaze episode. The very 10th. The very 10th. So these Blue Blaze episodes don't happen all the time, although if we're doing the math, they happen about 10% of the time. And (laughs) the Blue Blazes, just like when you're on a long-distance trail, like let's say the Wade Bastion-sanctioned Appalachian Trail. And Wade, you did, you did, I think you did three things on the AT. You pet a goat. You starred in I a held brief, that goat. You you starred in a brief brewery promotional. I starred in a commercial for beer, yeah. And you made it to New Jersey, all on the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> I remember something about pocket ham or pocket no pillow ham or pillow bacon. Wasn't that oh, thing? when I used to keep snacks in my pillow, yeah. Pillow I snacks, did that too. Yeah, that was like great. That. So yeah, I should start doing that again. I get very hungry at night. While you're hiking (laughs) these long trails, when you deviate from the main trail, you'll oftentimes step onto a blue blazed trail. The the paint blazes on the trees and the signposts will be in blue instead of the ordinary white blazes on a trail like the Appalachian Trail or the Long Trail in Vermont. So we're doing an arts, media, and entertainment blue blaze episode. And delicious Matt Bear, you're going to tell us what the tenth blue blaze episode is all about. I am indeed. We are going to be talking about Colin O'Brady's The Impossible First. And as you can see here on the teleprompter, I have a beautiful hardcover version of this book. It is fantastic. Just came out beginning of this year. Highly recommend checking it out. But first, who dinged? That was Maggie's computer. I'm trying to figure out how to turn that off right now. Yeah, because um, that's like really annoying. Yeah. Does I Maggie to, have like does, does Magnus the Red have pop ups for like overall sales? What what is she into right now? <laughs> yes. Oversums. <laughs> Back from the overalls. Uh, we're going to be talking about Colin O'Brady and his, well, I guess it's not his most recent expedition anymore, but one of his more recent ones. Um, so first, we'll do a little bit of history on Colin O'Brady himself, and he's actually a pretty accomplished athlete and went through some crazy stuff that I did not know about before reading this and doing a little research. So he was born in 1985 in Olympia, Washington, but was raised mostly in Portland, Oregon. Oh, that's so crazy because our very own Wade Bastion was born in a hospital, but in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania. So close. <laughs> he was. Yeah. No. It was. No, mushroom no, no. capital of the world. <laughs> I was born in a hospital in Media, Pennsylvania, and it was 
the Riddle Hospital, named after the guy who raised racehorses. Uh, you were born the in Riddler? a... Riddler? It was the named Riddler after the Riddler in Batman Forever? On the spectrum... Jeff. We all know Colin O'Brady is a national treasure, but on the spectrum of Batman, is he more Val Kilmer or more Christian Bale, Jeremy? Where does he fall on the spectrum? Ooh... I would say Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer is that shit. Samuel Doyle Riddle was an American businessman and racehorse owner. Oh, are we doing this? (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) Colin O'Brady. Yes. Thank you, Wade. He was a state swimming champion in high school and actually accepted a scholarship to swim for Yale and graduated with a bachelor's in economics in 2006. And to celebrate this, he set off on a year-long backpacking trip around the world in early 2007. And it was in January of 2008, while he was on this trip in Thailand, he actually suffered some severe burns um, to about 25% of his body. And there are some gnarly photos in his book of this happening. 25% of his body? Yeah, so it was mostly his legs and feet that were burned. Oh, I was hoping and... it was 25% sideburn. <laughs> but yeah, it was his legs and feet. And he was pretty much told by the, the doctor in this um, Taiwanese hospital that he ended up going to that he would never walk properly again. And so determined to make a full recovery, um, he started physical therapy back in America, kind of had his mind set on training to do a, a triathlon. And that's what, that was his one goal that he wanted to be able to do at the end of all this. He wanted to be able to come out of it and be able to do a, a sprint triathlon. And so in May 2009, he was able to enter the Wisco- or one of the sprint triathlons in Wisconsin and he actually won. And then later on that summer in August of 2009, he actually placed first overall in the Olympic distance triathlon in Chicago, which is a huge race. And he just entered it kind of for fun, not thinking he would um, place or anything like that. And he ended up winning the whole thing. Matt, real quick. Yes. Uh, do you know what the difference is between the sprint triathlon and the full distance or whatever? Do you know what the difference is between the two? All right. So difference between a sprint and an Olympic distance wade, the sprint would be a half mile swim, a 12 and a half mile bike and a 5k run, which is 3.1 miles. And then the Olympic distance, um, is pretty much double that. So it's just under a mile swim, a 25-mile-ish bike ride, and then a 10K run. Um, So, yeah, he he won this Olympic distance triathlon um, in Chicago, which is a pretty big one, and that got a lot of people interested in him. He joined the, the U.S. national team and then competed over the next few years in over 50 triathlons all over the world, ranging from sprint to Ironman distance. Um, and that kind of ended in 2015, I believe. That was when he raced his last race. And after he retired from all of the triathlon racing, that's kind of when he began his career as an endurance adventurer. Um, so his 
now wife Jenna and him created the Beyond Seven Two, a non for profit um, based to inspire and educate uh, kids during his world record breaking journey. And the first one that he set out on was trying to break the world record for the Explorers Grand Slam. I was going to say I, that's a breakfast you can get at Denny's. Yeah, it's like pancakes and <laughs> the ad- bacon. Well, the, adve- the Adventurer's bacon. Grand Slam is different than a normal one, and I got it in at Niagara Falls and uh, got food poisoning. Because they sprinkled Ooh, dirt gonna, on it, right? It was an adventure, though. <laughs> <laughs> but the for, So for, for those listening, the one not at Denny's, um, the, the Coward's <laughs> Explorer's Grand Slam, as you would call it, um, is... Climbing all seven summits, so the highest summit on each continent, and then going to each of the the north and the south pole from the, the last degree of latitude. He set out to break the speed record of doing this. You know, so, I just gotta I just gotta say it. When I graduated from college, I set out to get a job. <laughs> Did I you didn't do graduate that? from college. Yeah. <laughs> I set out to graduate from college, but I didn't. This expedition lasted 139 days, which actually beat the previous record of 197 days. He beat it by quite a lot. It took him 139 days to climb all of those mountains and then also go to the North and South Pole. Yep. Well, he doesn't, have a, he, does, he doesn't have a job, Wade. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, he doesn't have true. a job. Wait. So does that mean any of us can go do that right now? Because no one has jobs? If you have several hundred thousand today. dollars, probably. I also work it's a lot. It's a lot of money for those expeditions. Um, but yeah, this made him the 36th person to have ever completed the Explorer's Grand Slam. And during this, he also broke the speed records for just the seven summits themselves. And also the speed record for the three poles challenge, which is... Um, the North Pole, the South Pole, and Mount Everest. He was also the fourth person, I believe, to have done the Explorer's Grand Slam within the same year. So only four people had ever done that, which is pretty insane. In the summer of 2018, I think I actually remember this happening while working for the Adirondack Mountain Club. Him and a small support team broke the speed record of the 50 state high points. And he did this in only no way. 20, 21 days, 9 hours and 48 minutes. He did what? the all 50 high points. Yeah, see, he, I mean, he had Including Denali? Were, including Denali. I imagine he probably started on Denali. Sure. Yeah, you would like. They spent. You'd have. They spent months beforehand, like planning out the best route and like switching drivers and all this kind of stuff. And he would sleep in the van while someone else is driving to the trailhead. But the really cool thing about this is he would invite local people out where where he was going. He would kind of let them know where he was going to be, and a whole bunch of local people would show up and hike with him. And kind of like Cody Townsend on the fifty. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure I remember him coming to... I, I don't remember him in person, but I remember seeing his van at the High Peaks Information Center at Heart Lake property um, when he was climbing Mount Marcy. I'm almost positive I remember wow. seeing the van there um, when he did that in that's 2018. Cool. That's crazy. Yeah, so that's 
um, another one of his crazy expeditions. And then we get to The Impossible First, which is the book which we will be talking about today, which talks about his journey of becoming the first person to complete a solo, unsupported, and unaided crossing of Antarctica. And that was 932 miles in just 54 days. And this is honestly one of the best outdoor adventure books I've ever read. It was fantastic just the way he talks about um, his journey. He definitely goes into um, a lot of the background history stuff that I talked about a lot more, but he kind of, he d- it's not all in the beginning of the book. It's kind of like each chapter starts out with um, a little bit of the expedition, and then he goes into a little bit of the kind of the background or something specific he's thinking about that he writes about his past and then goes back again into the present day, uh, which was a pretty interesting way of writing. So the expedition started in November of 2018 and ended in 2019. Something important to note here, this was a solo trip. So he was alone and unaccompanied the whole time he was out there. It was unsupported, which means no resupplies or food caches. And any no kind. nice messages from anyone. No one supported no, him. Only only negative messages, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was also unaided, um, which means it was only human-powered. There were no machines, no dogs, or no kites or anything like that. No secretaries, um, no aides of any kind. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, because... This was actually recently in a National Geographic article. Um, part of his claim was disputed, um, saying that he wasn't the first person to do all this. But he actually, there's a, literally a passage in his book where he talks about the person they were talking about being the first person to do this as an inspiration for this journey. But that person. Um, did it with the use of uh, wind kites. So they would like strap the wind kite to them as they were skiing, and that would let them cover like hundreds of miles in one stretch if the wind was right. Um, But he was just on skis uh, carrying the sled. And now we get to the sled itself. At the very beginning of the journey, the sled weighed 400 pounds. What? He was... Yeah, yeah, he was... Pulling that, attempting to pull that. Um, so this this was like all his food, his shelter, his fuel, all that kind of stuff. And the the very first chapter of the book is him starting out this this trek and not be he literally like clips in and cannot move the sled. And I think he makes it like Jeez. a mile or something like that the very first day and he is just freaking out he like doesn't think he's going to be able to do it and actually ends up um burying a whole bunch of um food and some excess fuel so that reduces his window um even more so originally he set out to do this in 70 days and then he took out this extra food and fuel that kind of cut him back to more around like the 60 to like high 50s mark so he was really pushing it and yeah i mean he didn't have enough on his sled to be able to last much longer than that so you kind of have to do it at that point right 
Yeah, exactly. And his his nutrition that he um, was carrying was mostly these um, nutrition bars that he kind of had made for him um, by this company called Standard Nutrition or Standard Process. And he named them Colin Bars. And they were pretty much um, an 8,000 calorie block of nutrients um, that... That sounds uh, disgusting. <laughs> they they did not look good. It looks worse than a hot melted Cliff Bar. Ugh. I would have brought hot dogs. I feel like there's a missed naming opportunity. He called he could have called them Colin O bars or oh, yeah, oh, Brady bars. True. Yeah. Oh man, that would have been hilarious. Or changed his own name to Barzo Brady. <laughs> or he could have brought hot dogs. And he could have been called <laughs> Hot Dog O'Brady. Yeah, or Hot been Dog like uh, O'Brady. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he was eating these crazy bars. And I mean, he went out to this um, nutrition lab and basically he had a whole bunch of tests done on him. Like he was running on the treadmill, hooked up to like all this stuff to, and had his blood tested and all that. And they kind of figured out what, essential nutrients worked specifically for him and what would be the most efficient for him and then created these bars out of it. Um, And so he would eat these and this was a lot of his food. He did have um, some kind of hot food that he would make in the evenings and stuff and then some kind of like oatmeal, protein oatmeal in the mornings. But this was like most of his calories were coming from these Colin bars. He wasn't the only person attempting this, um, there was actually another gentleman, an Englishman named Captain Lewis Rudd, who was also attempting um, the same feat. And he actually ended up going on the pretty, pretty much the same route as Colin O'Brady. And so they were, they were the only two people out there, and they were kind of starting i think they started at the very beginning maybe only a mile or two apart um and then they i think they saw each other once the entire time or something like that but if you like look at both of their tracks they were never more than like i don't know like a few like a few hours apart from each other or a couple of days it was crazy um that's a fucking race holy shit i mean colin did end up obviously completing it first um but then at the very end or when he gets to the end of his journey uh, he's still got to wait for the plane to come pick him up and he ended up waiting an extra i think two days um for to come and he finished and uh they were hanging out for in the in their tents um, and hanging out together for a couple of days before the plane actually came and picked him up, and then they kind of flew back together, which was kind of cool. Um, kind of ta- talking about and sharing stuff from their journey. Yeah. I guess that's, like, the person you want to talk to after that is the other person who did it. So you Yeah, I mean, like, no one else swaps real to understand what you've been through besides that yeah. one other person. Um, yeah, you so, be like, remember all that snow we passed on that third day? <laughs> like, yeah, it was, was a lot of snow. cool. Yeah, so a couple of things that kind of stuck out to me from reading this um, was kind of the meticulous 
day-to-day tasks that he would have to do every single day and his kind of breakdown of how that goes is really interesting and then like how just one tiny mistake could pretty much end the entire expedition and at one point he like he would be setting up his tent every day and what he would do is he and normally he was doing this in like extreme winds and temperatures and stuff like that so he had a whole system where he would stop the sled unharness and then like fasten down one side of his tent then stretch it out fasten down the other side and this one day he just for some reason decided not to fasten down the first side and then as he was like reaching into the sled to get something his tent like blew up in the air and kind of blew away a little ways and so he was able to quickly run after it and grab it and then he like turned around and this like that on its own was insane because i mean your tent blows away you're in the middle of nowhere yeah yeah you're in the middle of nowhere you don't have anything else you're now dead and he turns around and because it was so windy he was in a whiteout and he could only just see his sled like if he had any further away or he wouldn't have been able to see where his his sled even was so uh, like both ways could have been insane. Um, so pretty much he was kind of harnessed to and attached to this sled the like the whole time that was his his livelihood while he was out there. Yeah, holy shit! Can't lose your sled. Oh no. Yeah, exactly. And so there was there's a another pretty cool part of the book where he he reaches the South Pole and there's kind of a big collection of buildings out there. There's a big science center and some. Um, some of the scientists come out to kind of greet him and, um, like take his picture and everything by the, by the pole. Um, but he's not allowed, of course, to accept any help from them. And they were like offered him like tea, I think. And then like most people that go there can then go into the building and it's warm in there. Like they could have hung out, but he wasn't. I think think they have a Denny's there. (laughs) Oh yeah. For that grand slam. Yeah. Yeah, You could go in and get a grand slam. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, probably one of the coolest parts, though, was the the very end of his uh, of his journey. He kind of finished the uh, the crossing with this insane thirty two hour push to the to the finish line, and he covered seventy seven and a half miles in one go, only stopping That's to insane. eat. Uh, yeah, it's absurd. And like before that, I think his biggest day was maybe like 20 miles or something like that. So he just crushed it on the last day. Um, wow. Holy and shit. Yeah. The, the book is fantastic. Highly recommend getting it and checking it out. Um, you can go to colinobrady.com and check out the book and also all his other cool stuff he's doing. Uh, we did talk about at one point. His expedition right after that was the yeah. possible row where he rode from Cape Horn to Antarctica. Um, and then most recently, his he's been doing this crazy thing called the Calendar Club, where you run one mile or you run the mileage for each day of the month. So April 1st, he ran one mile. April 2nd, he ran two miles and then so on through the month. And now he has reached the 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 point where he's doing five days back to back of 
marathon plus distances. I think he covers like almost 500 miles in the month or something like that. But you can follow along on his Instagram. He is insane, but he does some really cool stuff. Um, and also his nonprofit and education stuff that he does is, is really cool too. So highly recommend it. Very good read. Very quick read. I could hardly put this book down. It was really, really good. Wow. That's, yeah, it sounds man. great. He sounds insane. When you told me that you were reading, uh, yeah, when you told me you were reading a book called The Impossible Project, I thought that was the book Burger King wrote about coming out with The Impossible Whopper. Um, but th- that book sounds good too. That, that also sounds I mean, that's, pretty good. That's the true. That's the true book we we want to read right now. Honestly, sure. The Whopper Project. Yeah, the Impossible <laughs> First Whopper Project. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a red dude. Yeah. The I thing about the the high points is super fucking crazy because some of those like yeah, I mean like the one in Wyoming, uh, Gannett. Gannett Peak in Wyoming. That shit is way the fuck out there, man. Yeah, way some of them there. are like super long approaches. Yeah, gnarly. Very gnarly. Then you got old Jeremy Hill. Ooh, <laughs> grueling. <laughs> <laughs> that is Blue Blaze. Hmm. <laughs> Let's end it with Matt saying that. <laughs> that was my Blue Blaze. That was my Blue Blaze. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Footstuff Podcast. You can subscribe to this high-quality outdoor recreation comedy on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify if you like what you hear. And you're thirsty for more, you can always leave us a review on iTunes. So thank you for listening to this week's episode, and we hope to see you all soon. Keep it wild. Keep it wild.